This is the FM Gold Channel of All India Radio. In the program Country Wide, tonight we bring you an interview with the Director General, National Disaster Response Force (SN) Pradhan. The interviewer is Diksha Saxena, AIR correspondent. National Disaster Response Force, the force is also known as Angels in Disaster. Their motto is Aapda Seva Sadev, NDRF, who are facing the crisis and have been the primary responders in any calamity. Sir, first we'll talk about the flood situation, which is very grim in Assam and in Bihar too. If we talk about Assam, first all the 33 districts are completely submerged in water, and over 45 lakh people have been affected till date. What is the current situation first about Assam and then about Bihar? Well, the good news is that the situation in both Assam and Bihar is slightly improving. In Assam, I can say that while the floods are widespread. the waters are now higher in the lower assam region and not so alarming in the upper assam region so that's an improvement we are at it in the terms of rescue of people from the flood affected regions and uh, right now by the last count we have rescued more than 6000 people across the state and the rescue operations are still on as i said the water levels are now coming down so i would expect because the rains are not there in the upper reaches either in arunachal pradesh or even in assam i would expect that in the next 24 to 48 hours the water levels will further come down and that could be a good sign that the situation is going to improve substantially as far as bihar is concerned 7 to 10 districts are affected they are mostly in the upper reaches on the borders of nepal our 15 teams are deployed there and they are working round the clock now the waters are also receding in the upper reaches and uh, there are some as the water goes towards the lower reaches towards the ganges there is some rise in water levels in around muzaffarpur etc so that is happening which is also temporary and uh, then in the couple of days maybe 24 to 48 hours again just like assam it will go down so there also the situation is i would say optimistic and things would improve in the next 48 hours So since 2005 like since the inception of NDRF you have faced several calamities basically my question is when we are talking about floods what is the difference between rural floods and then the urban flooding well these are two different challenges altogether what happens in rural flooding is that in spite of the fact that the water may rise up to even head high for a human being maybe 7 to 8 feet the water continues to move out of the area and continues to go to the lower lying areas and goes to the nearest river system because there are access points and there is outlet in the urban areas the water gets trapped longer and that makes it more difficult and obviously in the urban areas since there are more people and there is almost a concrete jungle and people want to use their vehicles so the disruption is very very high in the rural areas people will not go out people will not go out to their fields or there is not a work profile in a way that they are it is contingent that they should come out at 9 o'clock in the morning and go back to their houses it's not the same as so these are two different situations as happened in for example mumbai in the urban areas if the drainage system is not very effective then that also poses a bigger challenge in mumbai for example it's a totally thickly habitated thickly populated urban area and there are additional challenges of the tide that comes in the tide from the sea so what happens is if the tide has come in then the water will never go out so these are complex problems and that's why i would say that there should be a different strategy for both handling of say flood like disasters in rural areas and handling of flood like disasters in the urban areas when we talk about rural flooding or even about urban flooding what is the major resistance you face when you go out to help people 
Actually, the major issue is when we try to evacuate, whether in rural or urban, the primary issue for the people is whether they should leave their houses. Nobody wants to leave their property behind, even if they lock it. They fear that something might happen. The water may rise and everything may be destroyed or washed off. So these are very genuine concerns and that is something that the NDRF faces day in and day out. Probably the assurances from the government side, not only from NDRF, but from the local government side as to what exactly will be the fate of their houses. That they will be protected, that there is nothing going to happen and toward is going to happen. That assurance level has to be there. Otherwise it becomes difficult. But anyway, we have been facing these challenges and we go ahead in any case and we try to impress upon them that ultimately life is more important than the property. So... Through some difficulties, we do manage ultimately to convince them. But yes, it is a challenge. When you talk about FONI, you bring me to my another question. So now, what do you mean by disaster resilient cities? And if we have such things, how can we avoid any such calamity? This is a very straightforward solution here. That What is it that was affected in the cyclone FONI, for example? It disrupted the entire energy power system, power supply. Why did it disrupt? Because everything was overground. So the overhead cables were there, the poles were there, the poles were destroyed, the cables were twisted out of shape and the entire power system was disrupted. So the obvious solution then comes to your mind that the power system, it should be totally underground, especially in areas which are vulnerable to cyclones. I very clear that probably there has to be a separate dispensation for all the coastal areas of India where cyclone is a regular occurrence. So maybe underground cabling, underground power system, number one. Even the trees which were uprooted. Now, probably there has to be a second thought as to which kind of trees should be planted, which cannot be uprooted. Because you want the greenery to stay and you don't want every cyclone to take away the greenery. That will take another 20 years or 15 years to come, come back. back. So you must plan accordingly. So that is also part of urban planning. Underground cabling for power proper greening which is appropriate trees and nowadays the technology and the expertise is available to give you the appropriate like the neem trees of Bhuneshwar did not mostly fall so there is a probably a message there that which are the trees that you should pick then the third thing is about the water supply system again the water supply was disrupted can something be done about it even if much of it, it is underground why was it disrupted maybe the, at the waterheads there was not enough protection so can these are the essentials that go become inevitable and the fourth essential service is the telecommunication again some thought has to be given as to how to save the telecommunication system in spite of the fact that there will be high speed winds so these are things which in total talk about the disaster resilience cities and the final thing is about the infrastructure and the houses both in the rural areas and the urban areas I think the housing has to be done in such a way that they are resilient to floods and cyclones and I am happy to report that already a lot of thinking is going into that that cities which are coming in the coastal areas flooding vulnerable areas should have flood resistant and cyclone resistant housing also when we talk about calamities, it is not just limited to floods and earthquakes to major natural calamities. So my question is, uh, we already have disaster resilient houses made for earthquakes, but not everybody is complying to it. So what kind of a message do you have for them? And can government plan some kind of incentive for people who take such an initiative and make their house accordingly? Absolutely. We have the National Building Code, which has already talked about earthquake-resistant houses. And it has been amended in 2013 to precisely include earthquake resistance construction. But the compliance obviously is not up to the mark. We had a 6.8 Richter scale earthquake recently in California, but it could not do much damage because of the strict implementation and compliance 
about the earthquake resistant structures and houses, even private houses had to comply with the earthquake resistant standards. I think there is a very clear message there that you cannot have earthquake prone areas having houses which are not earthquake resistant. And there are many examples across the world including Japan which have learned the hard way and afraid really that the Himalayan system which is a very stress filled system and whenever a large scale earthquake in the Himalayan system it will be in excess of 7.1. So that can be devastating unless we really look at earthquake resistant housing and I think it is high time that we must ensure and be very very strict about the compliance. It is a tough challenge but it is better late than never because I think we are already in the face of a very big risk. If something happens then it will be a very devastating earthquake in the northern part of India. How do NDRF and SDRF work in coherence with each other? Like if there is a calamity in, in Assam, for example, so SDRF the first responders and then NDRF, how does it work? Well, ideally that should be the case because disaster management to start with is a state subject. So obviously the state mechanism has to start working early and the, should be the first responder in the first golden hours. Uh, while they can inform us and requisition NDRF parallelly, they should be going to work immediately. So that has happened in many cases, but it has not happened in many cases also. So there are standards that probably has to be now uniformly applied. That would be the ideal situation and that would also be the right kind of a mix or the approach where the federal government comes as in assistance and in complementary role to the local government or the state government. Yes, many states have raised their SDRS, but that has been an inconsistent approach across the country. Some states have raised very good SDRFs, like Odisha has the ODRAF, which is probably very good. Assam has an SDRF, Rajasthan has an SDRF, but that has not been a consistent uh, approach across the states. And I think that is a gap which needs to be fulfilled. Recently concluded annual conference on capacity building and in fact the Honorable Home Minister complimented you for organizing such a conference for the first time. He mentioned a lot of things that we have come a long way in handling disasters but then he said that we should equip ourselves in collaboration with DRDO and I believe IMD also participated in the same conference. Yes. So what is the key takeaway from the conference? The capacity building conference was the first of its kind and we are very grateful that the Honorable Home Minister chaired it and uh, was the chief guest. And his message was very clear and it was in sync with already what we were trying to say. It was that when emergency happens, you don't draw a line. The SDRF cannot say, okay, this is my territory and uh, the other agencies will not come. Or the NDRF cannot say that. Or even the fire services cannot say that. In a typical situation, say in Phoney, the Odisha Fire Services, the Odisha Disaster Response Force, the NDRF, the Electricity Department, the Municipality, everybody was on ground and we were working as a team. So the lesson here is that when emergency happens, there are no rules, so to say, of hierarchy and when to collaborate, when not to collaborate. It's a desperate situation and everybody must come together and work together. So work in sync. So that is why all the fire services chiefs of the states, the SDRF chiefs of the states, the civil defense people, the home guards and the NDRF were all called to this conference. The message was that we have to work together. When emergency happens, we have to work as a team. And that is what the HM also appreciated and also reiterated in his uh, speech. So that's why it is very important that this synergy should be regularly built up and we should meet regularly. And probably a protocol has to be worked out as to whenever something happens, the SDRF will be there, the NDRF will be there and what are the roles that they will take up. The message that the HM gave very clearly that can you find a protocol or a framework where everybody gets his assigned work and so that the synergy happens actually when the disaster actually strikes. 
chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear disasters. So to tackle such a situation, are you in talks with any of the country and are you taking their expertise? Absolutely. Especially let me talk about CBRN that is very, very critical. We are a country with the third largest GDP in the world. We are rapidly industrializing. We are the favored destination for many big industries from across the world and joint collaborations are happening. So obviously industry is now multiplying and chemical industries and other industries where they use probably hazardous substances also as, as raw materials are there. Or maybe their byproducts can be a hazardous material, which if not channeled properly can be a fatal kind of a thing. So we have to be prepared for that. And I must confess as DG NDRF that that is one weak area which uh, we have to work on. It's not weak area for NDRF as such because we have experts. But the overall capacity across the country is probably not up to the mark and we have to work. So that's why we are collaborating with foreign countries, the Switzerland government, the other European countries, the Americans. We are really working very closely with them, with the Russians and uh, there is a lot of now offer for collaborations like that and I think the future is very bright that such collaborations will become effective and start working. Your message to the general public because as much as I gather, you have 12 battalions which have all the people from the forces from CISF, BSF, ITBP, CRPF. Is there a scope for any of the volunteer to come in and join NDRS? I think that's a very good question. We are very clear in our approach. Our approach is the community and the local government is the first responder in any disaster and that should never change. If the local government and the local community is prepared, then the whole response becomes much more effective. The first few minutes or the first few hours of the disaster belong to its interface between the local community and the disaster situation. If the community is prepared, then the situation becomes dramatically more efficiently handled. That's why my message is volunteers are very, very essential in such scenario. The evacuation that happened in Cyclone Phony, volunteers had a great role. So we are going in that direction. I would be happy to note that very recently we had a meeting with the sports ministry, the secretary of sports, and the NYKS, the Nehru Yuva Kendra, which is across the country. Those volunteers are going to be prepared for disaster response and they will become allies. The message here is that ultimately we have to have the community in front who should face the disaster and be disaster resilient themselves. Not only structure should be disaster resilient, the community should be disaster resilient. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. You are listening to an interview with the Director General, National Disaster Response Force, SN Pradhan. The interviewer was Deeksha Saxena, AIR correspondent. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of Fort India Radio. This program is also available on our website, newsonair.com. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com. Please stand by for our next program, Surkhiyo Me, in a short while from now.